concept is a brick. It can be used to build a courthouse of reason, or it can be thrown through the window as we embrace the void. If anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like they're people. Welcome, friends, to episode 217 of Embrace the Void, where we aim to be rational-ish. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we are discussing internet neo-rationalism. So, let's make with the basilisks. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My guest this week is George Hemington, a graduate of philosophy of science from the University of Edinburgh. George, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, Void. Uh, my name is George, and I'm an alcoholic. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, it's good to get those things up uh, out of the way. Up. <laughs> um, so so... I've, had that, I've had that line prepared for days. I do apologize. No, you nailed it. I appreciate you coming on. You reached out because you wanted to. You, said, you thought there'd be an interesting discussion to be had about some of the previous stuff that we've talked about on the show regarding rationalist communities like less wrong yep. and their connection to certain British politicians who I always like to hear dragged. <laughs> so we'll work through all of that, but do you want to tell folks a little bit first about like your political background and interests that gets you to being interested in this part of the dark corners of the internet? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's kind of the way that I've uh, written up like a little script, basically, but it's not, not heavy. I, was uh, an undergraduate at Queen's University Belfast, which is a bit of a strange town in all of its own. And mm -hmm. uh, I kind of, I mean, I got bored in my first year of undergraduate. I was just like, oh, I'm do I've done all this stuff before. I came from a pretty intellectual family. So, you know, I'd already read my Hume and all that kind of stuff. And so I, I got into shouting at Sam Harris fans uh, <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> I understand, through... like you do. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just, you know, like, like I don't know, I was, I was like maybe 16, 17, and I got really annoyed with Sam Harris, and I just like, it's like that's mm -hmm. not what, that's not what the second critique says. Um, second, uh, sorry, not critique, uh, second, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Inquiry, I don't know why I couldn't find that word. But then, through that, I discovered Reddit, which mm -hmm. was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me psychologically. <laughs> and through shouting at Sam Harris fans on Reddit, I discovered something called... Um, Bad Philosophy, which is a subreddit, mm -hmm. uh, which devoted to, you know, stuff like shouting at Sam Harris fans. And from there, in my off time, whenever I was not actually writing essays for, you know, 
actually getting a degree, my first degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would spend it just sort of trolling around on bad philosophy and getting into stuff. And then at some point, there was a thing which was spun off from bad philosophy called Snare Club. It's again another subreddit, which was originally just because there's this guy, big target of bad philosophy called Elliot Siadkowski famous mm-hmm. for his miri things and so I, look i know I'm, I'm i'm doing the boilerplate here so no i think it's helpful for folks who aren't familiar with like any of yeah those things. um so it's yeah, and then i i kind of moved away from bad philosophy because i started to find it a little bit annoying there's too many people who were of the age that i had been when i first joined <laughs> mm, aged out of it a little bit there yeah, uh, I just kind of like, I was like oh, God, I'm really sick of Marxist teenagers. Not that I'm against Marxists in general, but I, I, we're teenagers. I, uh, well, I, uh, okay. They're trying. They're, I, they're, they're, I have, they're learning. I, I have a teenage half brother, so uh, mm, he's a mm-hmm. wonderful young man, but much, much more socially well adjusted than I am. But that got spun off into something called Snare Club, which uh, was devoted originally to just making fun of Elliot Yudkowsky because and this uh, is the people... same individual that folks like Nick Bostrom reference yeah and yeah Nick Bostrom of, right? like is, a, is a friend of his Miri is a is his organization mm-hmm. uh, a lot of EA organizations so that's uh, for effective altruism. that's effective altruism yeah uh, associated with Yudkowsky uh, but at one point it became a lot more serious so uh, for the first few years before i was a mod actually i was a, so i am a moderator of snare club for the first few years it was just like a very small subreddit just for randos generally sort of communist or anarchist aligned randos to just take their piss out of uh, Peter Thiel or yodkowski or whoever and then at some point a few years ago it became kind of a serious proposition i mean some people will some people on the sub are going to be angry with me when they see this when they hear this it's okay Um, nobody listens to the show you'll be fine (laughs) so what happened was a number of people uh in particular one person whose name i will not name um because i don't have a personal permission for it but came out as sort of essentially refugees from uh, the in real life rationality community people who had actually been out in the bay area and lived in uh, mutual housing uh, mm-hmm. and had had actual personal encounters with yukowski and i heard their stories and i was just like oh this is actually really fucked up like this okay. is bad <laughs> like, like a bit of a culty vibe more than a culty vibe it's just a, it's a cult okay so I, I mean, I, I ran a Discord server for a while with all these people, and I, mean, I never, I mean, I, I've been to San Francisco once in my entire life. I, you know, it, it, like I've never been involved directly in this stuff, and there's always been a thing, a gap between people like me who are critics of the rationalist movement, and then other people who are still kind of beholden to the ideas behind it but who don't like the community space, the, the the cult vibe, you know? And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Oh, man, this was a really bad idea. I just I just wasted three years of my life. So let's get concrete there a little bit on, like, yeah, what sorry, are the that was the, the general the, 
Yeah, no, that was good. So I like I want to unpack a lot of that because obviously there's a ton going on there and try to demystify this for folks who aren't sort of familiar with these kinds of worlds. So like when people, most people hear rationalist, right, they think more like, you know, um, specific, you know, maybe philosophers. Spinoza or, or whatever. Reasonable. Yeah, right. yeah. Even if they're philosophers, they think of those things. Otherwise, they just think probably, you know, people who are interested in being rational. So like. How is the rationalist communities that you're talking about sort of more, right. more than that, principally speaking? And then we can talk about like, and what are the sort of stories you've heard culturally? Yeah, sure. I mean, I wouldn't say it's more than that. I would say it's <laughs> other than that. Okay. Um, so the, I think the origin of the name is with Yudkowsky, I think. Oh, I could be wrong about that, but um, that's how I remember it. Um, uh, the overall movement originates uh, with uh, 1990s early online movement called the uh, um, the Discordians. Discordians, thank you. Is it? No, yeah, of course. No, it is. it's the, they're related to Discordians. They're not the same. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, that we have some bad history, unfortunately. I mean, I've I have Discordian friends. I I don't I, I don't advocate for Discordianism as such, but. Uh, <laughs> advocate um, for a sophisticated reconstructed kind of discordianism i like to think. yeah okay so the so the saa saai which is the uh non-profit uh singularity institute for artificial artificial intelligence was founded by a young elliot c edkowski in 2000 shortly before um uh the world changed for to become a different, very different place and the idea was to uh, uh, use rational, whatever rational means, um, uh, truths about rationality to um, better organize the world, better organize society. You know, it's an idea as, whole, as old as time, right? Mm -hmm. But this kind of quickly developed into what was, what was first um, something called overcoming bias. Mm -hmm. um, which was uh, co-blogged by um, uh, Elliot Sierkowski and um, a GMU economist uh, named Robin Hansen, who is a famous Twitter troll these days. That's his mm -hmm. main job. Tall. He's an arsehole. Um, uh, and uh, it was premised on what I would describe as um, the ultimate sort of um the ultimate fire of like nat naturalism like you know which starts with uh, you know Otto Neurath and um uh, uh Von Klein and all that kind of stuff but like kind of the end result of it so there were various things like so you, if you're a rational person you have to be utilitarian if you're a rational person, you have to believe in the many worlds uh, interpretation of quantum physics, mm -hmm. um, because that's the most materialist version of quantum physics, allegedly, anyway. Um, and it, 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 you know, it, it, and also uh, libertarian economics, because that's for some reason the the most uh, materialist, rational, physicalist uh, version of economics. I mean, I don't even see how that works that particular one, but. It, it's so you, it you feel like the a, materialist frame is a like is, is like a genuine unifying theme or like more I would say like I would an just, aesthetic intuitive ad hoc I would say it's a, I, I would say it's an aesthetic version of what rigor is imagined to be 
mm-hmm. you know okay um, so so it's sort of a kind of a cosplaying of rationalism in this sort of way yeah that's completely what it is i mean this is this is what it is okay. <laughs> and then everything everything else just kind of falls out of that i mean there's also such a thing called uh, post-rationalism which i don't know if you're aware of or not no so there's something called uh you can find it fairly easily online um uh, yeah, so there's something called post-rationalism, which uh, there's, there's there's a thing called Ribbon Farm, which is probably the biggest uh, uh, online uh, post-rationalist space. Uh, it's run by a guy called okay, I forget his name, but Ribbon Farm is the is the is the brand name. Um, and their their idea is essentially um, you can have this rationalism thing, this sort of let's do everything better than we otherwise would, but then let's also bring some mysticism in into it for no particularly obvious reason. Um, okay, interesting. I think I mean it's I think just because they discovered that the uh, the rationalist mindset with this you know pure utilitarian aesthetic and whatnot uh, was uh, sort of spiritually unfulfilling. And then, so they did the classic California thing where they just went, uh, let's have Buddhism too. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Which I think is a pretty common <laughs> thing in uh, movements which purport to uh, bring, you know, reason to the world. I mean, Osho, Osho uh-huh. brother. So let's let's give a little structure to this because I feel like I don't want to lose a bunch of people referencing a bunch of names that no one <laughs> yeah has, sorry heard of. yeah right no it's okay um and you mentioned economics and I did want to I want to back up a little bit because like I wanted to talk a little bit about what you do when you're necessarily not engaging all the time with rationalists and and right. work us up towards having this conversation maybe a little bit more um so you know something else you'd mentioned before we chatted was that. Um, you've recently been doing work with a group called Termokiss, um, where you ascend- yeah. Ter- Termokiss? Okay. Uh, where you try to provide, you have to roll, you have to roll the R's. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. I, 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 I <laughs> okay, fair play. Uh, <laughs> I'm an American. I'm just going to pronounce it wrong. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> where you provide access to analytic philosophy of science in particular, uh, to young individuals in Kosovo. That's not their entire project, but that was what sort of you were yeah, engaged so, with on that do you want to tell me like a little bit about that project and and how so you got there and what happened was last year um i was helping out a friend in serbia mm-hmm. country of which i'm not a massive fan personally um okay, it's, it's fun if you go to Beograd and get party all the time it's great but um uh i was helping out a friend and uh, i was only there supposed to be there for five days and then, um, um, and I realized that it was a lot freer given the cold COVID thing than it was in London where I've been stuck because they weren't months. enforcing things. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no one gave a shit. It's like, okay, all people die. Give you, fuck you. It's a very Balkan attitude, you know? Uh, so, but I wound up eventually in Kosovo after a couple of months, uh, around Balkans. Because I was like, oh, fuck this. Uh, this is fun. This is much more fun. Um, and I met a bunch of people there, including a friend of mine, or a well, former friend of mine, um, who was studying philosophy at the time. She's no longer studying philosophy, as far as I understand. Um, but she, we were talking about philosophy of science. 
which is my speciality, uh, especially philosophy of the special sciences, i.e. social science, economics, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, she, it, through the course of our conversations, it became clear that uh, in Kosovo, which is a very poor country where which no one really gives a shit about, unless they're Bill Clinton or Tony Blair, and um, uh, I kind of got the idea into my head that I should do some education, you know. Uh, especially for young people, people that I'm qualified to teach. I'm not qualified to teach PhD students at all. Um, most PhD students know more about philosophy of science than I do, although they might not know as much um, about economics as I do. Um, and uh, I just kind of wanted to bring this other perspective to people mm -hmm. who've generally either been trained in no philosophy at all or in sort of Heideggerian existentialist, whatever kind of stuff. Okay. Um, how were how the responses on that? They were really positive. They, but, but, but unfortunately, both times that I've been to Kosovo, so each for about two and a half months, uh, <laughs> I ran into some bad luck. And um, uh, I, uh, almost immediately after arriving, um, or at least after getting settled in, uh, uh, lockdowns hit which meant that uh, most mm -hmm. places couldn't be open. Uh, and if they were open, there was a 10 p.m. curfew. I mean, you literally can't, I, I believe it's still in force in Kosovo right now. You you literally can't be outdoors after 10 p.m. It's pretty hmm. severe. Okay. Uh, but you can basically, yeah, so it's a bit, it's a bit rough. And uh, Telmachus, um Last year, when I when I proposed the course originally, the or at least uh, the the workshop, um, uh, they and this was a workshop on the history of analytic philosophy of science for people that maybe have never read Carnap or have never read uh, Otto Neurath or have never read Quine or have never read uh, Lucky you know. Bastards. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these are my original influences, so I. Mm -hmm. I <laughs> Quine <laughs> uh, and I aren't friends. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I am no longer a particularly big fan of Quine, but he was my introduction to philosophy of science, so I have to give credit where it's due. Um. Uh. So this. Yeah. So. Uh, but but basically, what they they learn Sartre, they learn uh, Heidegger, they learn um, various other phenomenologists phenomenologists and uh, existentialists and Wait, what what, what age are students are we talking about here that they're learning talking about things pe people are like 19 20 to 23 kind of thing i see so you're talking about like undergrad kind of in that kind of it you're not you're not that trying kind to of teach age. like high but school then, students but, but then the people that i would be teaching would probably be um either the undergraduate level who haven't got a specialization in analytic philosophy of science Mm -hmm. or workshopping with them, um, or even younger people. So one of the main goals of Trumkis is um, uh, looking after vulnerable young people with like high school age and getting them into mm -hmm. some kind of, um, I don't know, getting into some kind of career. Because, uh, I mean, Kosovo has, what, 30% unemployment, youth unemployment, 50% youth unemployment. It's pretty heavy, you know? 
Uh, Do you get any weird pushback on that because people are I got like, no pushback. I mean, they were just, you know, here they were people just like, are like, why study philosophy? You're not going to get a job. Like, no, no, no. They were super enthusiastic about it. Yeah. So like, what the fuck else have they got to do? <laughs> you know? Um, so they were they they were uh -huh. really into it, but just uh, you know, circumstances uh, insisted, and I, I wasn't able to follow on follow through on it. But I will be going back next year, and hopefully, then that'll be a thing. That'll be a thing that I can do a workshop at least. And and from what I gather from about this organization, part of what they're providing is things like LGBTQ information yeah. in communities in a country where that's not sort of um, cool. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, like, I mean, there is a, there is an aspect of, you know, um, who gives a shit? I mean, that's just classic. That's it. Mm -hmm. that, that's just classic Balkans anyway. Like, they, 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 they're not going to get that too into it. But like, yeah, I did. Okay, so I, I, um, what is sometimes referred to as bisexual. I had a, I had a short term boyfriend over there. Um, and he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't hold my hand in public. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and, but did you uh, find that the students wanted to talk about that sort of stuff as well? And that, but once they're in, once they're in the space, once they're in Tanmukis, so then all bets are off. Every everything's on the table. So, mm. um, uh -huh. and then that's that's why they were really interested in having some foreigner uh, from. Uh, the UK come over and uh, <laughs> workshop philosophy of science from the perspective of his tradition. Cool, which is me. So let, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about your philosophy of science work then, and that'll get us sort of. I think it'll help provide some framework for talking about the rationalist now. Yes, but I mean, I, I was trying to, I was trying to like script it so that we could talk about the economic stuff, and then circle back around to the ideology stuff. Which I think well, yeah. So, so I, what I understand, right, is what you've got. You you wrote a your thesis or your dissertation on um, the way that science expertise gets gamed, and that you have these kind of issues around issues of trust with expertise, um, which I think is a very central, uh, you know, central piece for the current epistemic crisis. Yeah. You want to sort right. of give your elevator pitch there about like yeah, what you sure. saw as the problem that you were addressing. I've given this pitch so many times that I can do it off the top of my head. So, uh, right. uh, so between the years 2007 and 2010, um, famously, um, most of the Western world and much of uh, the global South was in a what is known as the GFC, the global financial crisis. Um, but approaches to that crisis differed substantially between different um, countries. So in the US, uh, Obama was elected in 2008 um, and uh, very quickly initiated a uh, uh, fiscal, what would you call it? Anyway, a uh, huge fiscal plan, uh, which, uh, which involved taking on huge amounts of debt um, in order to uh, fund various uh you know, like uh public health and uh public works and all this kind of stuff which is the standard keynesian uh response to a depression um um however 
uh, a number of people dissented from this uh, program, and particularly in Europe, um, the EU rather than just Europe, uh, the UK was of course at that time part of the EU, no longer. Um, uh, and two economists named Reinhardt and Rogoff published an extremely influential paper. Uh, in fact, it was a preprint, um, uh, which is completely standard in economics, and I just don't get why that is, but whatever. This is an MBER paper. Um, um, the way I always talk about Reinhardt and Rogoff's uh, paper, growth in a time of debt is to paraphrase uh, Churchill and say, I mean, I'm not a fan of Churchill either. Um, uh, the, uh, a, a lie gets around the world before the truth can put its trousers on. Um, so what essentially this paper did was it analyzed, uh, I think it was 200 to 300 year data set that was at that point new. Um, and they did it really badly. They just fucked the numbers. They, they just got it wrong, <laughs> like completely right. fucking wrong. Okay. Um, and so the conclusion of this paper was that um, had supposedly discovered a regularity. So like a causal regularity in two or 300 years of markets across various different parts of Europe where data were available. And mm -hmm. um, um, uh, they said that, you know, beyond a certain level of government debt, I think it was, I can't remember what the exact amount was, um, but it was, a, it was a fairly low number. Um, uh, and they were arguing essentially that no modern government could, um, uh, on the basis of this evidence, they said, uh, no government could um, achieve uh, escape from a depression by uh, borrowing in order to spend. Okay. Uh, so um, just, just, just quickly, because I feel like we're... we're... Right. I want, I want to summarize. There, right? Sorry. So saying, uh, yeah. No, it's okay. I just want to, I want to make sure folks are following here. So what you're saying is um, they mis, right, misunderstood the numbers in such a way that they reinforced the idea that like there could be some sort of massive debt crisis that would create some sort of depression. Basically, that what they were saying was that you're going to make you have to tighten your belt. Or you're going to make things even worse. Right. And they right. were doing this. So this is an austerity kind of argument. This is a stereotype. Yeah, I should have used the word austerity earlier, actually. But uh, yeah, so that's what they did. And it turned out to be completely wrong. Uh, even on the level of analysis, uh, mathematical analysis, it was just wrong. And uh, the one fun anecdote about this is um, that the way that uh, this got found out, they got it wrong, was there was a, a U Amherst, um, I believe it was U Amherst, graduate student in economics who... Um, was asked as a basically as a homework exercise um, uh, to reproduce the data <laughs> from the the original data set. So okay. to reproduce the analysis from the data set, and uh, I forget his name, but um, he was sorry. He was he he was like he went to his uh, supervisor and he said like I can't read I can I can't reproduce this I can't I can't. <laughs> Okay. And the professor goes, okay, you must be wrong. And the professor tries to do it himself. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> he just goes, oh, shit. <laughs> this is fucked. 
this and because by this time this paper has been cited by George Osborne, the Journals from the Exchequer of the United Kingdom, the ECB, the IMF. Everyone, it, you know, it's gone around the whole fucking world, and they're, they're and they're all like going, "Oh yeah, okay, that, that austerity, that that makes sense," and that was it. And what I went to do was to say, you could have spotted this a lot earlier without having to check the data set because the causal story that they were telling, and this is from a philosophical perspective, the causal story that they were telling didn't mm-hmm. make much sense in the first place. Because mm-hmm. why would you, why would you draw these conclusions from a three hundred year data set? Like what, what that makes no sense, right? To me, anyway. Okay. Uh, and that was that was my graduate research, <laughs> and then a, okay. a bunch of other things as well. Yeah, I mean, the impression I got was that you described that they were sort of looking at it, uh, what as scientists or something, rather than yeah, they were they were looking at it as like sort of analytic scientists in the nineteenth century model. You know, the pe- like uh, you know everything is material and causes don't matter. And I developed a theory as well about A, B, and C theories of cause of causation which i think is mm-hmm. not particularly original but um you know it, it's at least a schematic sort of uh, view of how people think about causation okay so how then does do we bridge between this sort of philosophy of science critique of the approach that they were taking back to our friends the rationalists and in particular yeah. Uh, Dominic Cummings, who I want to talk about here. Yeah, was, um, I'm, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna have so much fun talking about Dominic Cummings. Well, yeah. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you first explain who Dominic Cummings is for people on my side of the pond, um, so, and then we can wrap this all together. Yeah. Okay. So Dominic Cummings uh, was in the 1990s. He was a graduate of, I believe, Durham University. I could, I could be wrong about that one. Um. Uh, who uh, attempted? I, I think he. I think he used to do like fucking art history or something like that. Like, you know, not exactly a standard political thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, he. No, I'm thinking of Michael Gove. Uh, Dominic Cummings, in was a uh, is uh, according to Wikipedia a British political strategist, which is half true. Um, <laughs> so he's born in Durham uh, in uh, 1971. Uh, oh, he went to Exeter College, uh, uh, Oxford, uh, yeah, and studied ancient modern history. So I got art history. So ancient and modern history. Um, not a particularly bright graduate. Uh, fucked around for a bit. Uh, doing various different things. Uh, a, a little known fact about him, which is which is on Wikipedia, but no one seems to know it. Uh, tried to run uh, an airline from Russia to Ukraine hmm. uh, in the aftermath of the um, in the aftermath of the breakup of the Soviet Union. Uh, Did he have some connections there, or was he just? Do you think he saw an opportunity think, or something? I think he just kind of fucked around and found out he was a complete failure. Um, okay. Um, and then he he wound up as what's called a SPAD, which is special advisor. Um, that it, this is a UK political thing. Um, ultimately, to so he, he got he got involved in Conservative Party politics, Conservative and Unionist Party. I must specify. 
mm-hmm. um, always claims to have been apolitical and out for himself, but he has some pretty conservative views. Um, ultimately, while I was a teenager, um, uh, the ascendancy of the modern conservative party, conservative and unionist party, um, he uh, became special advisor to Michael Gove, who was then the um, uh, education secretary. Um, and Gove himself did a number of stupid fucking things. Um, but since then, he kind of disappeared for a while, started blogging obsessively uh, with reams and reams of poorly interpreted data um, and uh, became uh, ultimately in the bizarre fantasy world of uh, politics in the last three years in British politics in the last three years um, four or five years whatever um, uh, was for some reason um, uh, made a special advisor and ultimately um, fixer for Boris Johnson, the current Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. Connection to rationalism here uh, is so I was the first person, and I'm not I'm not boasting here. I was the first person in public to point out that uh, uh, on his blog role. Uh, Dominic Cummings, while he was vice the Prime Minister, um, uh, has Slate Star Codex, which is another of the major rationalist blogs, and Less Wrong, and a few others, and they're all in his blog role. So, uh, hmm. uh-huh. uh, so I kind of I, I drew the dots, and then I wrote an article called Dominic's Basilisk, which takes in. And then we can get up to the economics in a second, and I do think there are there are, draw, do, uh, there are dots to draw um, here as well. But uh, that's your intro. I apologize for taking so long. <sighs> so yeah, let's talk about Dominic Cummings and the rationalists then, right? So uh, what is the basilisk reference here? Um, for <laughs> I know, okay. I know. You would come from a world where that's obvious, but not everyone necessarily knows what Roko's Basilisk is. Uh, yes, so maybe, so... maybe briefly explain why you would associate that with Dominic Cummings here. So Roko's Basilisk—it's one of the funniest things ever to happen on the internet. Let's put it out there. That's that. That's the that's my starting point. Okay. Uh, Roko's Basilisk is a kind of. How do you describe it? Um, a runaway thought experiment? Uh, yeah, well, it is a runaway thought experiment, but it, 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 there's a better opening line available. Uh, Rockets Basilisk was a, um, a runaway fake decision theory thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the basic idea behind Rockets Basilisk is that... Um, at some point in the future, it's very likely, it's highly probable, whatever, uh, that um, a super intelligent AI is going to basically be running the world, right? Mm. It's going to take over human intelligence, and we will have made it, and then whatever. 
and then you get the concept of a causal trade um which is a sort of corrupt version of decision theory um uh, in a causal trade what you do is something like the process dilemma uh, you know, everybody knows what the other person is thinking and they make their decisions based on their expectations of what somebody's going to do. Perfectly fine in decision theory, game theory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, you, like, you're separated, you, you're causally separated, but you, you can kind of have an inkling of what happens. Uh, and then Rocker's Basilisk is the idea that uh, given the premise that um, super intelligent AI is going to run the world and run on utilitarian principles. Um, I don't know why it would do that, but fair enough. Um, uh, it will torture you from the future, or it will torture, or it will revive you and torture you in the future. You know, I was always thought it was to torture a copy of you, a simulation of you. And then uh, oh, that was my third point. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so that was the, the other one. So that you, and I don't really understand why I should be particularly um, traumatized by the idea of a simulation of me. Yeah, that was. It was always. Torture. It always seemed like a pretty loose uh, identity argument. But there is no. But the other thing is that in 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 the sequences, the the famous sequences from Less Wrong Elliot to. Uh, Yudkowsky, uh, there is actually a chapter where he goes, oh, you should consider uh, mm-hmm. a simulation of you to be identical with yourself. And I'm right, I, which just seems weird to me. It seems like a really bad to me. It always seems like a really bad uh, recapitulation of Derek Parfit's argument in Reasons and Persons. Um, uh, yeah, uh-huh. I could see that. But like so, a really bad one. <laughs> yeah. So how does how does you know how does all this do you think influence Dominic Cummings sort of political approaches and things? Do you have any sort of the way that, that I the way that I frame it is uh, it, the way that I frame it is that within the sort of realm of social epistemology and the realm of the ideas of of what trust and testimony look like uh, from a philosophical angle is that these are all people who essentially have uh, they essentially have this idea that entertaining any idea is fundamentally a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll go to any lengths. And look, so the, with the Dominic Basilisk thing, um, they, they, there was a famous incident in which uh, somebody, I think, attempted suicide, something like that, uh, because they were so fucking terrified of the Basilisk, which is, uh-huh. you know... Um, and because they've just been led to believe that you could understand things through this purely up, more or less a priori sort of gaming of conversation, of, of, of testimony, of trust. Yeah. Well, this was always the funniest part of the basilisk to me was that, like, it was essentially banned from these communities in some ways. Yeah, like, right. Like, shut down attempts to talk about it, right? We can talk about everything except that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. Like, Yelkowski is a guy who, like, introduced this sort of philosophy whereby this all, all of these things are permitted as um as ideas and yet he's the guy who goes okay wait hang on this is bad this looks bad for me and it's just a classic thing you know uh-huh. it's like uh like okay well i might have gone a little far here like okay 
anyway, so my interests say I shouldn't be involved in this. And that's kind of just how it went. It's just so pathetic, you know? It's like, you know, have the fucking courage of your convictions. The way that I tie this to uh, Dominic Cummings is... Um, and obviously, this is personal to me on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I've I've been involved with Dominic Cummings' conversation longer than most people anyway, because I, my mother was a... A teacher during the time when Michael Gove, to whom uh, Dominic Cummings was special advisor, um, when nobody really knew who he was, uh, it was only much more recently that people really started to take awareness of him. Um, the way that I tell this Dominic Cummings is this, this whole idea of like you can just kind of fucking do anything on your own, um, and you can just kind of reason it out, uh, and you mm-hmm. can reason it out, and the best way to reason it out is with misuse stats epidemiology um whatever the fuck you have to hand kind of thing you know um mm-hmm. and like so this is okay so circling back to nick bostrom um you know this is nick bostrom argument that we have some sort of utilitarian um uh i don't know providence or something uh to mm-hmm. uh uh, or protocol or whatever the fuck he wants to call it um, to make the superintelligence the ultimate goal of humanity. So, and, it, and he just he, Nick Bostrom is a trained mathematician, right? This this mm-hmm. is the part that really fucks me off. Um, Nick Bostrom is a trained mathematician. Um, he should know better than to extrapolate from one number to three numbers to 500 million numbers, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, I'm not a great mathematician myself, but like, I, 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 I know my stats. It seems like there's a bit, I mean, and it's interesting that they've brought the Buddhism stuff into it because, you know, a feeling to me with a rationalist has often been, they have a kind of new thought vibe to them. And for folks who are not familiar, yeah. like new thought is this kind of, philosophical movement around the turn of 1900s and such that you know splits off into a million different you know blooms of um uh, uh woo-ness of various kinds of sorts but it's just basically the idea that like mind over matter if you can will it it can so, come into reality in this sense i want to like they have a really. rationalist approach of that like well yeah. you know, the impression is that like their their impression is you know if you will it rationally right it will yeah. essentially <laughs> come into existence in this kind of way I do kind of want to push back against uh, the woo thing because mm-hmm. um, um, in my studies, in my philosophy science studies, um, uh, I, I spent a lot of time outside um, the office uh, and uh, hanging out with people who are very into stuff that I would refer to as woo quite happily, right? Mm-hmm. But not pejoratively. Um, I think that there is an implication within uh, the vast majority, although not the entirety of, for example, Quinean nationalism, whereby um, uh, somebody can be into um, astrology or whatever the fuck, and and that will be just part of how they service their life. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people aren't academics. They don't, they don't have that sort of 
intellectual bent and their lives seem to go pretty well so I, i'm, I'm kind of happy with that um i mean i think it's important to challenge I mean, obviously, science because i do think it does i agree promote, I, I agree with you know i agree with that i mean like if it's ronald reagan you know consulting an astrologer on behalf well actually nancy reagan consulting a astrologer uh, on behalf of her, her husband who happened to be president of the united states at the time yeah maybe that's not great um but I don't think yeah it's or like woodrow wilson consulting yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. like i mean the problem is that like there's connections between these pseudosciences and things like rate the history of racism and things like so, you know yeah so i agree i the kind I of agree. abuse that you are suggesting is happening in these communities arises from i mean like it, it's contributed to by well, so, these ways of thinking i think that's important to note i think i think the way that i would distinguish between like okay so like my friend um my friend as is re so i'm, I'm tapping compulsively on my table right now uh my friend as in edinburgh scotland um very into astrology right um uh, my friend mm. uh Rezona in kosovo also very into astrology uh both astrology is probably the, the one that is most common amongst people i think uh, in terms yeah. of you know this is the, the one sort of woo habit that they have or something like that but also both extremely intelligent people who maybe just didn't like i mean they didn't have the opportunities i had neither of them they both came from you know pretty not extremely wealthy backgrounds you know mm -hmm. um and they kind of use astrology in a really clever way just to make kind of sense of the world on a day-to-day -day basis and i think there's room for that um I mean, i'm not going to forcibly uh, take it away from them i just no I would I would prefer they find other ways that worked that that's, that served a similar but, function without the baggage. So this is this is the way that I set up the rationalist critique, or the critique of rationalism rather, which is that these are people who have adopted techniques which resemble astrology quite serious ways, but mm. also have something to do with supposed scientific rationality, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's much more insidious. I mean, astrology uh, was proposed scientific rationality in a sense when it was being. Yeah, it was at know, the time, but right? Like, like, come, but look, saw look, themselves look, as scientists. On. Nobody I know who's into rationality is just, and I, you know, I could be, I could be, uh, you know, mistaken here, but um, mm. nobody I personally know who's into rationality um, is able to cope with the possibility of there being with there being wrong uh-huh whereas all of the people i know who are into astrology and look they have very different backgrounds from me we get along because we're friends and i'm a nice guy etc but they they actually all admit that their astrological predictions could fall afoul of you know, actual scientific thinking. Um, whereas the rationality people, I don't think they ever admit that they're wrong. I think that's certainly true of individuals in rationalist communities, but I think there is certainly another option where an individual can admit that well, they are probably wrong about a lot of things, but also think that, like, astrology is harmful because it influences people's behavior in problematic ways.
okay, and so also that... think that like some people are benefited from believing in like i think some people are benefited from believing in jesus i don't think jesus is you know like actually <laughs> right like i mean i think maybe a person was real but like i don't think that like all of the stuff people believe about him was real but like some people are probably benefited from believing in him in a just world or something like that like i'm not, I'm not gonna say that there's no ever upshot to these sorts of things but i do think you know i think we need to try to thread the needle between like the rational like hyper rationalists who end up i think producing their own kind of highly technocratic woo Having just come back from the Muslim world, uh, although the Muslim part, the part of the Muslim world which is hated by most all Muslims, um, the Albanian world, uh, I would say maybe Jesus isn't real, but Isu certainly is. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like I. That's a I, that, that's a Quran joke. I apologize. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Um, before we run out of time, let me ask you, do you have any suggestions about ways to counter what you see as these strains of toxic rationality or rationalism? So the way that I think about it is, um, um, I think that, well, well, to begin with, I think I do think that irrationality, I, I, I follow Paul Fairbanks and a lot of this stuff. Um, Rationality does need to be controlled by um, irrational impulses um, for a certain definition of irrational. Um, I think that so-called rationality is socialized and evolved behavior, which doesn't always meet the ends that um, should be met by rationality. And I think that the rationality community and may I also say the economics community has um, inculcated a certain set of very specific um, and often wrong modes of what is rational and that essentially um, it's the easiest fucking thing in the world for those modes to be sort of cleaned up, if you know what I mean. So I'm not trying to what you have, mean. Uh, okay, so we have things like um, I wanted to bring up David Cart again. Um, did I bring him up earlier? No. Okay. Uh, so David Cart is a he just won the Nobel Memorial Prize, as people would say. Um, in economics um, for empirically showing uh, that presumptive results in um, more or less libertarian neoclassical economics um, were wrong. And the way he did this was to show that uh, increases in the minimum wage in, I believe, New Jersey um, did not, in fact, uh, negatively impact real wages anyway. So the classic a priori schema, uh, which is, again, I think something which is shared by the rationalist community, um, is that the a priori result um, that uh, minimum wages will result in Increases in minimum wages result in um, 
decreases in employment because employers will want to hire fewer people at that rate. David Card showed that this isn't true. Um, there are limits to the a priori analysis within economics, mm-hmm. and I think that um, I think that he, he did that very impressively. I've read his his work, um, and uh, the way that I connect this to the rationalist community is that they just kind of fucking go off, you know. And I think that a lot of economists, even greats like Milton Friedman, like they just sometimes they just go off and they have you mean that they're too uh, focused on a priori reasoning and not looking at the yeah idea. so like after milton freeman is this thing you know it's a consumption's moving which is uh very clever and turns out to be empirically untrue idea that um households will in general um uh smooth their savings and spendings um, over the course of their lifetimes, uh, which empirically is actually not very well founded, because you mm-hmm. know, like, come on, like, like, if you're on the up cycle of the business cycle, then come on, you're gonna spend your cash somehow. You want it, you know, you want, you know what I mean? If you got right. income. So is the moral so of the story mostly we need to we encourage people to look more at like empirical actually what actually what happens okay fair enough i think that's a good i think that's a good point to wrap up here on so this is the enlightening round enlightenment comes from within for folks who are not familiar i'm going to give you a list of things and you're going to tell me are these things real or not real you're not going to (laughs) define it it is a lightning round so you're going to move quickly through them right you're not gonna i'm a quick person okay right so here we go so First of all, just to just check, is anything real? No, no of course not. Nothing? Uh, okay, everything is and nothing is. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see if you stick with that. I'm going to go through the list and you can tell me are these things real Sorry, or not I was real. Sorry, I was taking the piss. Some, some things are real, but not as many as people think they are. Okay, well, let's find out what's real then, shall we? Uh, the external yeah. world, real or not real? External world is real, unfortunately. Okay. Colors, real or not real? In the middle. Phenomenal consciousness. Yes. No, yeah, totally. Okay. Free will. Uh, 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 false premise. Real or not real? I said false premise. That's not an answer. There's no distinction between. Uh, I, I just want. Will. I just want real or not real for our scientists, my friend. I'm afraid not because I. My position is that there's no distinction between will and free will. Okay, well, you got to give an answer. <sighs> okay, give me a second. Uh, I, but, but, so, real, I guess. Great. Selves or persons? Persons. Real or not real? Not real, but still existing. Genders, real or not real? <laughs> of course not. No, no way. Okay. Races, real or not real? Absolutely not. Okay. Species? Maybe. Morality? Enough. Rights? <laughs> Real. Knowledge? Ooh. Social knowledge or personal knowledge? Just pick however you want to understand it. Social knowledge is real, but personal knowledge is... Uh, 
uh, parasitic on social knowledge. God or gods? Real or not real? Absolutely gods. Allah. Real, real or not real is the question here, buddy. <laughs> okay, not, okay. Not God or gods. Allah is the one and only God. Okay. <laughs> Society, real or not real? Absolutely real. The only thing that is, probably. Okay. Money, real or not real? Uh, real, unfortunately. Numbers? Uh, my own number's real. Yes. She says yes. Fictional characters? Absolutely real. Holes, like More a hole real in the ground? Than real. More real than other people. Oh, like holes is in like metaphysics of holes. Like a hole in the ground, yeah. Uh, why not? I mean, fuck it. It's not that it's important. Okay. Chairs? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I am sitting in something which resembles in some... Fuck it, yeah. Why not? Okay. Sandwiches? Um, for the for the, for the listener, I, I've just uh, frustratedly shaken my head. Um, <laughs> Is that not real? Uh, uh, um, paninis are real. Sandwiches are just a d- devolved form of, of panini. Okay, so they're real by association. Then. Science, yeah. real or not real? Absolutely not. Okay. Natural laws. Are you fucking kidding me? No not really. way natural laws real. No okay. Beauty? Regularities are real. A beauty is, of course, real in our minds. Love? I'm staring at my ex-girlfriend right now, so that's a somewhat of a vexed question. Uh, yes, of course, love is real. Jesus. Causality? Causality is... Uh, an understudied psychological association between events which come on buddy lightning lightning emphasis on the lightning real or not real which must be considered real in order for the process of science to progress but which in itself and in its various conceptualizations is not real oh time um how long have you been here (laughs) a while it feels like (laughs) That's my only answer to that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, George, do you want to let folks know where they can find your stuff? Yeah, no, of course. Uh, so I can be found uh, on Reddit as um, No, actually, it's Pop Tart. Um, uh, that's my username on, on Reddit. I'm completely unapologetic about um, uh, my pseudonym. I can also be found on Twitter as uh, at George Hemington, that's one M, George Hemington, uh, sorry, George Hemington one, with one M, uh, and I can be found, uh, I haven't used it lately, but uh, on my blog, um, uh, irrationallyspeaking.wordpress.blog. Great. All right. Well, thanks for coming and having this chat. I appreciate you illuminating a little bit what's going on with the rationalists and, and that stuff. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patron, Rachel Derbyshire. And as always, I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, 
fix the vote, create voting districts in Covina, California, fight for democracy and end the theocracy, Chad T., Jesse Urbinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And I'd like to thank Aaron for being a friend in my head. That's, oh, that's nice. Uh, and all the thanks to our Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons's Filmed Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, no matter how rational you are, you are the void and the void is you. Mm-hmm.